Can you get your... Well, mic check. Good morning. Good morning. Grace and peace, everyone. It is so good uh, to be together this morning. Hoping uh, that you had a wonderful Easter. Uh, feel like we had a good, good week uh, here at the church. Very grateful uh, that we get to walk this journey of following Jesus uh, with our church family, and especially with you on uh, Tuesday mornings. This is a delight for Kurt and I, so uh, uh, we really enjoy it. So uh, our psalm today is going to be uh, Psalm. Uh, 67. We're going to be spending the next couple of weeks at the pace that we normally go, uh, talking about shiny faces. Psalm 67. Let's pray. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. So that your ways may be known on earth. Your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the people with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest God. Our God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Indeed. Let's pick up in Mark chapter 8. This is definitely... On top of a mountain today, we've seen Jesus in in some typical roles. I mean, roles that people understood. We've seen him be very much a rabbi. They would call him rabbi. He would teach like a rabbi. He would ask questions, right? Uh, Rabbi's always asking questions. Uh, Jesus sort of takes that hat off today. We've seen him be like a miracle worker. Uh, People may not have ever seen that in their lifetime, but they have read about it. They they had a sort of conception of what that was like. He could cast out demons. He could perform healings. He sort of even takes that hat off today. What we're beginning here and really into chapter 9 is really, really hard stuff. This... Is the point at which the disciples just don't get it. And I think if we're really, really honest, it's going to be hard for us to get to. Um, to a certain degree, this is familiar, and so, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. But to really plumb the depths of this is, is mind-blowing. This is when I think we're really talking to God. Now, Jesus wears all sorts of hats. And maybe that's not a good description because I think Jesus is always Jesus. But as we began to understand him. So, like I said, he's not acting like a rabbi. He's not acting like a prophet or a miracle worker. He, he's doing something different here. And and see if, if it sort of comes out to you what he's trying to do. So we'll pick up at verse 34. Then Jesus called his disciples and the crowds, and that, that's important, to come over and to listen. 
If any of you want to be my follower, he told them, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. So the first thing we notice is what? Yeah, shoulder your cross, but no question. This is unusual for him. Remember, rabbis teach by questions. Either questions the disciples ask or he likes to ask. So he's doing, in a sense, what is more familiar to us. He's sort of laying it all out. So if you want to follow me, which is the way you become a disciple, you, like Steve has us do in the uh, traditional services, may the dust of my, may we be covered in the dust of our rabbi. May you be so close to your rabbi that what's going on, you, and you're following him, covers you. Your, your life, his life covers you. So he's saying, if you, if you really want to get me, you really want to understand, you have to set aside selfish ambition. And then we all, uh, jump on this. Shoulder your cross. Now, I'm going to mess with us a little bit here, but this verse, because of its popularity, is probably my winner for the most mistranslated verse, at least in the Gospels. This is where expectation is sort of superseding what it actually said. First of all, you're, you're sitting there, and Jesus drops the C word. How does that go down for you? I mean, your rabbi, your miracle worker is suddenly saying, if you really want to follow me, you're going to have to sit in the electric chair. The what? The, the, the cross? Now, what he literally says, and this, I want to spend a little time here. We'll come back to the selfish stuff, but... So realize we're in Greek, but Jesus said this in Hebrew. So this is this is a little bit of work here. But he says "etios" in Greek, so lifted up, like I'm raised up on a pole. Now, remember the kind of Greek we're dealing with here. This is not classical Greek. This is not the Greek of Plato, Aristotle, and all of that. This is Koine Greek, which is everybody in the world trying to speak Greek so they can talk to each other. Sort of like English. Where's the real English? England, right? So that would be like the Greek of Athens. Um... We speak English in America, Australia, you know, those are, I guess, Englishes too. But that's not the kind of Greek we're dealing with. We're dealing with a Greek from, or like the English they speak in India. I mean, have you ever talked to them? That's their native language. It is English. But you're like, what? It's like Tex-Mex. It's like Tex-Mex, yeah. I, I'm sure they listen to Southerners and they think, what, what are y'all talking about? I ain't get nothing you say. Um, so it's literally, I'll just say, stick him on a pole. Stick him on a pole. So we've we've put in the word cross, and any kind of shouldering or care bearing, all that's just us putting that in there. It's not in the Greek. He said, "Lift me up on a pole." Okay. So the Greek is not the the, the Greek is primitive. So let's talk about. Crucifixion for a second. Very, very old practice 
of killing people, you really hate it. So way, way, way back in Egypt, their favorite way of really killing criminals, uh, rebels, and I shouldn't say criminals, I mean really, really bad uh, folks, is they would impale them. So this is where the stratos that are talking about the pole comes from. So you stick a pole in the ground, you sharpen one end of it, and you lift the guy up, and you put him on his backside, okay? Think about that for a minute. You plant him up there, and gravity does the rest, right? It pulls him down. So you have this piece of wood that's going through your body. It's rupturing your intestines, your I mean, infection, although you're not going to die of infection, right? It's just internal injury. It's terrible. Within a couple of hours, the person is a, just a blob of meat at the bottom of the, the pole, the stratos. It's horrible. And it was meant to really say, you know, big deterrent here. Later, the Assyrians will sort of industrialize this. Uh, they will impale people just to show terror. So this process had moved through the, the Middle East in, in a big way. Jumping ahead to Jesus' day, well, a little bit before, a couple centuries before, the Romans are battling the Carthaginians in North Africa. This is the battle against Hannibal, if you know any of that. The guy that took elephants through Switzerland to try to destroy Rome. He uh, impaled a lot of people. And the Romans, the Romans are they're evil, but they're engineers. They're, they're sort of evil, brilliant people. I mean, think of all the things the Romans built. Aqueducts, uh, fortifications, roads, you name it. They engineer it. So they look at this pole. You throw a person up top. A couple hours later, he's shish kebab, and he's gone. And the Romans sort of say, you know what? Hold my beer. I, I can make this better. A couple hours, the guy's dead. You know what? I, I bet I could extend this Seven days? Maybe more? Because why not get the maximum bang for your buck? The longer the billboard, if you will, is up, the better this is going to be. So the Romans take the idea, and unfortunately there's a lot of study on this. First they take the pole, um, and then they'll extend what we know as, as a crossbar. And the Romans reconfigure it. What they're going to do is not impale you, but they're going to force you to suffocate. So you guys know a lot of part of this, right? They they nail you, right, Derek? They, they nail you uh, to the crossbar. And when we're kids, we learn it's in the hand. They don't do it in the hand, right? Because what happens? Again, the gravity will just pull you right. Um, so we have, of course, the bones right here. You guys know this. We have that nice little space. So Romans figure out, you know, if I put a nice iron spike through there, unfortunately you have blood vessels and nerve endings and it's going to hurt like I'll get out. But uh, so the, the problem with our translation is in Greek, this is still your hand from your elbow to your top of your fingers. This is their hand. So when we read it in English, we think this is our hand. But this is the arm in Greek. This is the hand. So anyway, um, you go through there. Um, and we know this from other crucifixions and from uh, the remains of crucifixion victims uh, that we've discovered. So they cross the feet, take a piece of wood, um, go through there. And the engineering is the angle of your knees. 
so they can, uh, you're, you're like this on the cross, your, uh, the angle will affect how long you can live. The Romans, the record, I say this, the, the, the longest we know is 10 days that they kept a person alive on a cross. Uh, this was when Spartacus revolted against Rome, the slave revolts. Um, you, you're suffocating because your body, the, the muscles can't carry you anymore. Again, this is a billboard the Romans use to demonstrate the futility of any resistance to Rome. Their ideal crucifixion victim is a leader of a group. Now, despite, again, what popular myth says, uh, Romans crucify you naked to humiliate you. They don't cover, they don't give you underwear to cover your decency. They want to take your president, your leader, strip them naked, and have them sit out there as long as they can in a very public place along the main roads so you walk by and think, well, there's our general, there's our prophet, there's our lord. Um, they'll put the crime above the head, you guys know that, and you slowly suffocate. Birds, scavengers are all over this person. I mean, it is... It is horrible. So we have this, like I said, poll. Um, it's the old Greek word re- replying what the, the Greeks uh, understood the Romans to be doing. It's a shock when Jesus brings this up. Now, let me do one other language thing and then I promise I'll stop. Um, <laughs> The Greek in the New Testament a lot of times uh, gets really interesting um, because they're using Greek in a Hebrew way. So when I was growing up in El Paso, uh, one of the things that used to drive teachers crazy is that so many kids would call teacher Ms. 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 Or in El Paso, you get on a car. Um, which sounds really funny, but um, you, you got to be from El Paso do you know you get on the car, okay? Um, because that's the way you say it in Spanish. You don't say you get in a car, you get on a car. In Spanish, when you say senorita or senor, it's, it's a sign of respect. You don't include the last name. So basically you have people using English in a Spanish way. And it can be very, very confusing. That's what's going on here. You have Greek being used in a Hebrew way. Um, the word lift up is actually nasa. And it, it's, it makes a whole lot more sense when Jesus said it, either in Aramaic or, or Hebrew. Nasa is what you do for a sacrifice. Nasa is when you lift it up before the Lord. Uh, sort of the classic example, Steve and I were talking, um, Cain and Abel, that's how far it goes back. And remember the two brothers and Cain brought his offering. He didn't really bring much to God. And God said, "Um, I'm not going to accept this. But if you go back and make it right, I will nasa. You will be lifted up. So it's in both this reference to you will bring your sacrifice, but I will raise you up. And I think at this level, you begin to get the depths of what Jesus is saying. Not only is he going to be physically lifted up on the cross, but he's beginning to be presented as as this offering, as this 
this lamb, this this being, this act of love that's going to take away the sins of the world. See what I mean? This is this is a little bit different speed than just act like Jesus. Uh, this is this is pretty masterful speech. But I'll stop there. I mean, do we want to? Wow. Yeah. I've read in other sources, and the question is, how does the Greek translate this? Take up your cross. Usually, the people to be crucified wasn't a full cross. It was the cross bar that they carried to be hung in the tree. Yeah, and it's the cross bar, right? What he's referring to here is you've got to carry the burden of the cross. Have you seen it worded? Yeah, we definitely are pushing the translation that way. We're massaging it to make it be like we understand the cross to be. But a lot of that's not there. And I don't think that's wrong. I mean, we can draw our own conclusions. I just get frustrated that we sort of overlook some things when we're pushing to make it a crossbar. This this very delicate way that he's saying it... Um, and he, he does this somewhere else. Look at John 3.16 with me for a second. Everybody knows John 3.16. All right. So look at 16. And then jump two verses back. 14. I think this is the most forgotten scripture in all of the Bible. If 316 is the most familiar, 314 is the most ignored. Have you ever heard this? As Moses lifted, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so I, the son of man, that's really important, the title he uses there, must be lifted up on a pole. So that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. Now my question, and this is where you begin to see some of our mess on translation, why is Paul translated stratos, pole, there, and not cross? Why wasn't it pole in, in Mark? It's the same. Um, and what, Moses did what with a snake? <laughs> I mean, Moses, use a shovel for God's sake, man. It's, it's easier to kill those snakes. Don't, don't, don't stick. So what is this? Huh? Jesus was talking about going up on a stick a lot. Would, would they also remember that book of Esther? Uh, there at the end of Esther when there was a pole that was supposed to be. Oh, yeah. But that's for hanging, yeah. Yeah. There's lots of ways to die. A thousand ways to die in the Old Testament. Yeah. I should write that book. Okay, so this goes back, way, way back, to Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And they were a bunch of crybabies. Um, they don't like it. They want to go back to Egypt. It's, it's dry. There's no food. There's no water. I did no meat. I haven't had any meat in 24 hours. And so God had it. Um, so uh, he sent snakes to bite them. Um, and they're in the middle of the desert. They're a large crowd. They're dis- disturbing the desert. You guys know that. And you're going to find snakes and scorpions and stuff. And so snakes start to bite them. And then they wake up and they say, well, sorry. Um, we uh, we need God. 
one of the things that, and I'm sorry, I'm chasing rabbits here, but um, one of the things that's really, really crazy is that the word for snake that they use there is seraph, plural seraphim. Okay, so one of the kinds of angels that we know of, seraphim, that word means snake. This is because of their time in Egypt. Um, if Pharaoh wears this serpent, cobra, on his forehead, it's a protector. It's one of the d- divine representations of, of Pharaoh. So one of the angels uh, is a winged serpent. Uh, that's why the devil was a snake in the garden. All that. So they get bit by these snakes. And God tells Moses, make a bronze seraph, make a bronze angel, make a bronze serpent, and it will be lifted up. And it's the same kind of thing we're doing in Mark. So this sign of your sin becomes the source of your salvation. If they look upon the raised serpent, they will be healed. Jesus is playing this image. It's both a sacrifice, but it's also a a voluntary surrender. I mean, that's what Jesus is playing with, right? We've got to be able to give up ourselves for sake of love, to go to the pole, but also to be this offering, this nasa. So we're a disciple. And you're trying to tread water in all this. Let, let's be honest. Does this really make sense? I mean, we know it, but does it really make sense? No. What, what difference does it make if one man dies? I mean, is our God into human sacrifice? Is that really what we're talking about? How does this really make sense? So we've been doing this for years. I, I really want to know. How does this make sense? To slap on the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they didn't get it and they weren't teaching it. Right. Giving it to the people. But if you're sitting there as a disciple. Are, are you going to get this? Or is Jesus just smoking dope? I mean, honestly. And I, and I do think that's why it takes these guys time. And, and so you'll get to, and I think what we're going to do next uh, on Sunday mornings is go, we're going to be uh, teaching through First Peter, well, because Peter, you know, Peter's prints are all over this place in the text. Last week, as Pastor Kurt led you through, there was this, yeah, Peter. Peter is like he he was this living illustration of the man that was blind. The week that Jesus healed just a little bit before. And that he got it on one level, but he he completely did not get it on another level. When Jesus start, starts talking about crucifixion and suffering and dying, Peter does not understand that. So Peter, after years of reflection on what the way Jesus had decisively worked in the world, is able to say, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will do what? Lift you up. That's what he's talking about here, right? And what is the purpose then, if is, is Kurt has masterfully traced this all through scripture, what is the purpose of the lifting up? 
so that other people can see you and be healed. Whoa! I thought Jesus is the one that healed us. That is true. But who points people to Jesus? It is us. We become the symbol. And we cannot become that symbol until we are willing to humble ourselves. And that is what this section is, is kind of teaching us through here. Is, yes, if we are going to be all that God has created us to be from the foundation of the world, there's got to be this vision of us joining Jesus and being lifted up so that people can be drawn to him. That's kind of going through... This is the place for it. Are we starting to see a transition from Jesus the rabbi to Jesus the son of God? And the reason I say that is in the traditional, as I understand it, rabbi culture, you get chosen. And right here, he's talking about you get to make the choice. I'm not going to choose you. You're going to choose me. Mm. That's really good, Kurt. and, and that's, I think, the hat that Jesus is putting on. He calls it Son of Man, um, but it's this divine figure at Judgment Day. Um, and, and I'm sorry we went, we were going long today, but it, this is important. This is this is huge. Um, how much do you think Peter ever thought about an afterlife before this? They didn't believe in it. I know that sounds bizarre to our world because Christianity is almost always about heaven. But Jews, and still they, to this day, they don't really think about it. It's not a thing for them. The only sort of idea the Pharisees have is that on Judgment Day, people get resurrected. And again, get what Jesus is doing here. He's playing off of this Nasa. You will be lifted up. Right, and like Steve said, you're you're going to be this thing on a cross. You're going to be this thing on a pole that people need to see. This is why we'll go to this next week. This is why he's saying, if you deny me, if if you you do, you know, you're not raised up, you're you're not doing what you're supposed to. But the only idea they have for afterlife is resurrection. So Jesus is changing that. You're going to be lifted up as your sacrifice. You're going to be resurrected. As you're like me. It's this self-sacrificial love. It's this presenting it to the world. It's this offering. This is where they begin to realize, oh my God, you're God. I mean, we've never heard anything like this. This is blowing our world. And again, Jesus is, he's not playing rabbi here. He's just, you you, got to get this, boys. And he opened up to the crowd. So let me stop. Just one more thing to tag tag on to that. Romans chapter 12. That that is such an important passage. Um, You know, the first 11 chapters, Paul is unloading uh, all that God in Christ has done for the world. And then when he gets to chapter 12, he says, okay, what does this basically mean for us now? You know what he says? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Yep. It's, it's, it's this right here. It's be lifted up, but see how, how the, the, in the kingdom of God, it shifts from this instrument of a death on a cross to an instrument of healing for the world. And that instrument of healing is us. Kind of like the whole thing about complaining about how horrible the world is. 
Well, there's no point in us complaining. What our calling is, is to allow God to lift us up. To draw all people to the love of Christ. So if someone says you have a stick up, never mind. <laughs> Lord Jesus. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what Peter was thinking all along. He's like, is, that, is he talking about it? <laughs> anyway, chew on this. We'll, we'll come back to it uh, next week and, and try to do what the disciples did. Um, yeah, and just think it's, about that. It takes, takes a while. In, in what ways would people look at me and they receive from me? You know, one of the ways I like to talk about it is we are hanging fruit on our tree every day. There is fruit being hung off our tree that people are eating off, eating of. Is your fruit rotten or is it good? And that good fruit, like when they see that, is it drawing them closer to God? One of my favorite little children's books is The Tale of the Three Trees. Y'all seen this book? You need to get the book for your kids if you have little kids still. Well, even if you don't have little kids. Uh, the very last page, this little tree, the only thing that he wanted was when people looked at him, they would think of God. And that is all of our callings. When people look at us, do they think of God? All right. Any final comments? Yes, sir. Can I take just a minute and share something? I, I, I read this to a Sunday school class on uh, Easter Sunday. Yeah. And I think it's the whole reason we're here. If I may take just a <laughs> this was from my great niece that posted this. She lives in Roswell. She posted this uh, Easter Sunday. Her dad, who is my nephew, uh, has suffered with alcohol, drugs. Fortunately, Ken's on the mend now. He is a drug counselor. But let me share this. Case, and this is her son. Case and packing to go to a friend's house to spend the night and go to Easter church service in the morning. What do people do at church? What do I wear? Sean, this is the husband. Ah, you know, you wear Lord-loving clothes. I'm not sure what Lord-loving clothes are, but maybe that's what I'm wearing. <laughs> Jason, who has only been inside churches for funerals and has not a single clue what practicing religions do at all. I don't even know what that means. P.S. I'm raising some damn good humans without religion in our lives, so please don't come at me. We all practice individualized spirituality in my household. I think this is why we're here. Then the young lady's mother, who is my niece, responds, I had some Lord-loving folks beating on my door today, but I couldn't hear them over the gangster rap and my pit bull attacking them through the window. I guess they were glad I didn't open up. Mm -hmm. 
Pastor Kurt got a uh, message from my friend. Y'all have heard me talk about him. You know, I've got two Korean friends, and one of them is a missionary in Vietnam. So just let that sink in for a second. A missionary in Vietnam, and you think that the whole communist thing is no big deal anymore. <laughs> so we get this very long note from him. Um, they were leading a worship service uh, in an apartment. There were 25 of them that were crammed into this apartment, and they got caught. Uh, and so they interrogated them for three hours. Jonathan and his wife, Tara, they're, they're my age, interrogated them for three hours, and uh, they confiscated all the Bibles and all the songbooks uh, in the apartment. And all of the people have to go appear tomorrow in court. And they are really, really afraid that they're going to get uh, expelled from the country. And, uh, man, they're a lifeline to those people right now. And so we need to pray for Jonathan and Tara. And uh, that they will have some uh, beneficence uh, from the Vietnamese. And that they will be unharmed and be able to continue to do their work there. But they feel like their time there is on the edge right now. Mm. So I'm going to call him at 11.30 today. We're going to have a conversation. 11.30. It'll be 11.30 at night there, but we're going to talk. And, and so uh, I'll let him know that y'all are praying for him as well. Name? His name is Jonathan. Jonathan Park, and his wife's name is Tara. Yeah, we went to seminary with him. Yeah. A really good, good guy. Yeah. Wow. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you that in our walk as disciples, we've come to a a new place, a deeper place, a place where you ask us really to be like you, to be willing to be a sacrifice, to be willing to sacrifice it all, to go to the pole, to be lifted up. Father God, just in a few minutes, we can see how much difference your gospel, your truth really makes in our world. From families that have been broken to families that are under persecution by communists, it costs a lot to stand up. Father God, may we not cower May we not hide. In this hour, in this place, may we step forward as true men of God and say, I will pay the price as well. I will stand up. I will even be lifted up so that we can bear witness to our rabbi, to our God, to our Savior. Lord God, we all know, we all feel that this world is just coming apart at the seams as it has always been evil seems to breed so quickly and so fast just in the blink of an eye evil men have so much power Father God may your followers be stronger in the way that you taught us 
May we be that light, that salt, that sacrifice of love that makes a difference. So help us to do what you've called us to do. Help this world. We say a special prayer for the family in Roswell. And also a special prayer, our Lord, for Jonathan and his family. Evil roars, but you truly conquer, O Lord. Help it to be your will. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.